0: All right. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to study this morning uh, a little bit outside the book of Acts again, as we've been pulling over from time to time to look at this series you see up behind me on the screen transformed learning to think biblically. Learning to think biblically. And I know many of you um, have expressed uh, to me or or, or to Pastor Ian and the elders over the years, I, I can't count how many times I've heard it. We, we just love this church because of the preaching of God's word. Right? We, we hold up the word of God as our authority in this church. And th- this is why we come. This is, this is where we come to to be fed. There, there is no other sustenance for our souls than the word of God. And we love that. I know that's why you're here. And sometimes probably all the time, it gets pretty personal, doesn't it? I want to get personal this morning. I want to get personal for you, and I want to get personal for me, and I want to draw your attention to the subtitle of this series, Learning to Think Biblically. See, we're, we're all in, in progress. I, I want each one of us this morning to, to just settle our hearts before the Lord and acknowledge that we are still in much need of ongoing transformation in our hearts, that we have much to learn we, we have much area to grow in our understanding of God's word and how it applies to our lives. And, and I just wanna go deep this morning. I wanna get personal and I want us to commit together to think differently. To allow the Lord to confront our hearts in maybe an area where we need to um, be reformed and transformed to get more in line with the word of God. And, and what I wanna do this morning is, is look at learning to think biblically about anxiety learning to think biblically about anxiety. Namely, we want to look at what it means to fight anxiety in a God-honoring way. And fighting anxiety takes a lot of effort for us, and, and for some, it, it's extremely hard work. I, I know there are many in this room this morning who, who the battle for anxiety is very, very real, very present. You... you um, maybe this past week, maybe in the, in the last little while, have experienced just great turmoil in your soul as you, as you contemplate the things in life, the circumstances that just weigh you down and, and you've, you've felt c- controlled by anxiety and worry and fear. And, and I just want to speak to you this morning and I want to tell you right up front that, that this is a message not of condemnation, but a message of hope. This is a message to encourage You and to encourage me from God's word on how we can grow in the area of anxiety. Simple definition as we get started here for anxiety is this, fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. Anxiety happens when when we're afraid of that which hasn't happened yet and in many cases that which won't ever actually happen at all. It's been said like this, that all things we worry about are what we want but do not have or what we have but don't want to lose. And this could be physical, you know, material things in life like, like money or, or possessions or our home, but often, often it's the immaterial, right? It's those intangible that we can't touch, things like our reputation, things like, the absence of relational conflict that drives us to worry and, and, and experience anxiety. And it's important that when we talk about anxiety and when we say that we're going to look at fighting anxiety, that we know that we're, we're not merely talking about that responsible concern that we have. That's something different. Right? I, want to, I want to make sure we see that this morning, that, that the responsible concern that we have in life is, is appropriate. appropriate. And yet there's an inappropriate response when the anxiety of life, the the uncertainties, hijack our minds and we respond inappropriately in thought, speech, and action. That's anxiety and we need to fight it and we need to fight it according to God's terms. The Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi to instruct them in this very arena and I want to look this morning at, at chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and, and I want you also to know that uh, many commentators and, and preachers have approached this passage from various uh, different angles. We, we could look at this passage and, and we could talk about uh, unity in the body of Christ, we could talk about spiritual stability in the Christian life. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about joy and peace. It's like a, a multifaceted diamond that you just can turn and, and because of the infinite riches of God's word, you just see different areas of life and, and the area that we want to turn to this morning is the area of anxiety and we want to see how all of these other things fit when we look at, at the jewel in this way. So look with me. I want to read these verses As we begin this morning, the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here we see four commands and a promise. Four commands and a promise. The Apostle Paul wants to tell us, when I'm anxious, when I'm anxious, I need to first commit to unceasing joy. That's verse four. Commit to unceasing joy. The first imperative in this passage, and it's said twice, you see that in this verse, is to rejoice. To rejoice. The apostle sets before us our need to have biblical joy. And that's different, by the way, than than the happiness of the world, the happiness that, that the world tells us needs to be found in the circumstances of this life, in everything going okay, just the way that... We wanted so that we're comfortable, and, and that's where happiness is found for the world. And, and yet, um, we're called to a different kind of rejoicing. Not merely an emotion, although emotion is certainly involved, but, but what we're called to is biblical joy where a confidence is in our hearts that all is well. All is well, even despite the circumstances of this life even in spite of the uncertainties that are to come. And Paul, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit here, calls us to commit to this unceasing joy and and he doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just say rejoice, right? He tells us where to ground our rejoicing in, where where to take the root in our most sure foundation and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how Paul calls the Philippians to have joy in the midst of their very difficult circumstances. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, maybe, maybe you don't know, Philippians, if God will com- complete the good work he has started in you. Maybe, maybe you don't know what, what is going to happen to me as I'm in this jail cell in Rome. Maybe you don't know if you too will be put in prison or, or run out of Philippi like I was. Maybe you don't know if, if your beloved brother, Epaphrodites, who you sent to me and, and got ill along the way is, is going to find death or live. Maybe, maybe you don't know if the false teachers who are among you are gonna just ruin the gospel impact in your city. Maybe you don't know if you're going to make it as a church with, with the fighting that's been going on in your body. And yet Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Right? Despite all of these uncertainties, in, in spite of what you don't know about what the future holds, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Always. Think about this. Think about how wonderful it is to serve such a loving king to have such a tender Savior in Jesus Christ. When you're tempted to be anxious, rejoice in his overflowing mercy, the the intimacy of his fellowship, the sweetness of his grace. Have confidence in the power of his resurrection and, and in his ability to restore all that is broken in this life. One, one writer that I read this week said that the, the fulfillment of all other Christian goals in the Christian walk flows out of the practice of rejoicing in the Lord. People caught up in joyful worship of the Lord are united in heart and lifted above the circumstances of life in a vision of the awesome majesty of Of the Lord. That is what we want. We want to keep that vision of Jesus Christ our Lord before us at all times. And that's going to help us fight anxiety in our hearts. Joy in the Lord rises above and and is unaffected by the fear of the unknown. So the Apostle Paul says to to the Philippians and, and by extension to us this morning commit to having this joy always, it's unceasing. Now, this is certainly not easy. Right, you might be thinking, can, can you really expect me to be able to rejoice considering what's going on in my life, considering what might come my way? And, and beloved, I, I just have to tell you this morning, this, it is not me, right? This is the Lord. This is God's words for us. God says rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it a second time. Again, I will say, rejoice. This double command, it's not inappropriate. It's very much needed, isn't it? We, we, we need God to, to tell us, no, 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 listen. Listen to me. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. And I just want to encourage you with that this morning. In the face of adversity, in the face of, of fearing what you do not know, commit to rejoicing in the Lord always. Like I said, the, the world finds their happiness in just knowing what's, what's going on around them is, is just okay, right? There's a sense of control there. The, the world says, I'll rejoice if I know for sure that my money and, and my possessions are secure. I'll rejoice if, if I have my health, I, I'll rejoice if I can be certain of what's going to happen to my family or friends, or if I can be certain that I'm going to have a family or friends. The world says I'll rejoice if, if I know for sure what's going to happen at my job tomorrow or, or, or next week or next year. Or, or I'll rejoice if I, if I know for sure that I'm going to pass the course and get the degree. I'll rejoice if I can be certain that other people are going to think well of me at all times. God says, don't let your minds be hijacked. Do not be controlled by your fear of what isn't known in this life. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. You know, as... um, Pastor and I, Ian and I were talking about uh, where I was going to preach from this week and, and the topic that we thought would be um, very relevant to, to ourselves as a church. And we, we landed here in Philippians 4. It wasn't uh, necessarily in conjunction with Acts where Paul and Silas have just left Philippi, but it's kind of cool, isn't it? And, and so as we're thinking about Paul and Silas having just been here in Philippi and, and, and leaving and what happened there in, in terms of, of Paul's and Silas is being imprisoned and then sent out of town. I, I just couldn't help my imagination this week. Couldn't help but to get rolling. And and I was just thinking of of this um, illustration that that really encouraged me. I hope it would encourage you. I, I was imagine just imagine. This is just some sanctified imagination. Not at all what we're saying happened for sure. But but let's just think for a moment of, of Paul and Silas in that prison cell, complete darkness and and. You know, you've probably been there with someone else at some point overnight where the room is just, you know, pitch black, and, and you're like, "Hey, uh, you awake? <laughs> and Silas is like, yeah, I mean, I'm awake. And, and, and Paul says, well, how you doing? And uh, Silas says, you know what, um, I'm afraid. I mean, what's going to happen to us in the morning? What are they What are they going to do to us? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm afraid I'm I'm tempted to just be just be a little frazzled here and and Paul says hey hey let's sing. And Silas is like what are you talking about Paul like what do you mean let's sing? And Paul says to Silas uh, remember, remember remember Nehemiah, you you know the story of Nehemiah. What what did he say? Right, what did he, what did he say to the Israelites? Remember what he said? The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And they began to sing and they, be, they began to, to rejoice in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They weren't rejoicing that, that they were in shackles, chained to this guard, not knowing what's going to happen to them. But they were rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can do that too. In the midst of, of our uncertainties, we can find joy. We can find strength in rejoicing in the Lord. Second command we see in this passage comes in the beginning of verse five. Let's read that together. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, "Let your reasonableness be known to everyone." Here Paul says, "When, when I'm anxious, I need to display unquestionable gentleness. I need to display unquestionable gentleness." Paul calls. Followers of Jesus Christ to exhibit this, this spirit of, of graciousness, of, of reasonableness. Uh, it's been called uh, forbearance in, in certain translations. John MacArthur has this to say about this word reasonableness in this verse. He's, he says, really, if, if you bring it together, what, what it really means at its core is gracious Humility. Gracious humility that runs counter to the cult of self-love that was rampant in ancient society and listen, is rampant in our modern society as well. But focusing on self-love, self-esteem, and self-fulfillment leads only to greater and greater instability and anxiety. On the other hand, those who focus not on themselves, cannot be knocked off balance by iniquity, injustice, unfair treatment, lies, even humiliation. They can say with Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. The idea behind this word reasonableness is bearing trouble calmly. Bearing trouble calmly. It's the opposite of the kind of behavior we sometimes see in ourselves and in others when, when we anticipate trouble that is to come and, and we become irrational. Right? And Instead of being reasonable, we, we're frantic and, and we become fast-paced in, in our movement and fast paced in our talking and, and we interrupt and we, we, we can't hear and we, we, we shut our minds to reason and, and, and responsible thinking. We shut down, we, we allow the concerns to become so excessive that it's no longer appropriate but we cross that line into the realm of anxiety. And we need to put on, we, we need to seek after and obey this command of the Lord to let reasonableness come forth even in our uncertainty. And we need to show that to the watching world. We need to let this reasonableness be known to all. Did you see that? Everyone. Maybe, maybe it's to those who are causing you the trouble. Maybe it's those who are cro- caught in the crossfires. Maybe it's just those who are watching from a distance to see how, how is this person going to trust in their God whom they say they believe in and has all sovereignty over this world. Two questions that we can ask ourselves in the face of uncertainty that, that relate to this idea of being reasonable, being, being gentle, being gracious and, and humble would, would, be, would be these uh, first, how am I treating other people? How am I treating other people? What, what does my fear of the unknown look like in my attitude, my actions, my behaviors as, as I talk to and, and interact with other people in my life? Because so often that's what anxiety um, brings about in us, right? And we start to treat people the way we would never have wanted to treat them. And God calls us, listen, to slow that down, to stop, and to be reasonable. Many of us need to hear that this morning. How am I treating other people? And secondly, the second question is, am I showing what it looks like to trust God? In the way that I'm behaving right now, am I acting before uh, my church family who I'm trying to to be part of their building up and and increasing their faith, and before the watching world who who I want to see come to trust in Jesus Christ, how how are my actions portraying my trust in God in the midst of my fear? I was thinking of an example of this this week and pretty immediately came to mind from the Old Testament, Daniel. Remember Daniel? I, I, I love Daniel. And in the Old Testament. And, and he's such a man of God who fears the Lord, who's courageous. And, and I just thought of that that story. Many of you remember the story of the lion's den when when uh, the satraps and, and the rulers, Daniel's um, co-leaders in Babylon, like go to the king, right? And, and they, they say to the king, they trick him essentially. They say, enact a, a proclamation in the land that that if anybody praises anyone other than you, King, for the next month, they will be thrown into the lion's den. And, and so he's like, Yeah, okay, that, that sounds like a good idea. And, and, he, and he does it. And he loves Daniel, and he's not thinking. And, and Daniel hears of this decree. And what does he do? He goes back to his window, he opens up the curtains toward Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees and he prays to his God. And they're watching him. They say, we got him. Because earlier they said, you know what? We, we, we need to tear this guy down. We, we're, we're so envious of his authority and his power, his favor with the king. How are we going to get to him? And, and they, they just put their minds together and said, how can we get Daniel? And they're like, we got nothing on this guy. He's a godly man. You know what? We're going to have to get him in accordance with his commitment to his God. And that's the only way they could get him. And they, they dragged him before the king and they, or, or they just told the king, hey, hey, listen, remember your edict. Look what Daniel did. You have to throw him in the lion's den. You, you can't go back. You can't go back. And the king was troubled by this. And, and he spent the whole day trying to figure out a way around it. And the Bible doesn't tell us what Daniel was doing. But well, you know what else the Bible doesn't tell us? It doesn't tell us that, that Daniel was freaking out. It doesn't say that, that Daniel was, was so worried that he became debilitated and, and that he, he stopped praying and praising God. By all accounts, Daniel quietly went to the lion's den trusting in God and submitting himself to these circumstances not knowing what was gonna happen when they sealed that big stone wall over the entrance to the den. And the king put his seal on it. Daniel is an example of someone who was showing the watching world what it looks like to trust in God in the midst of an uncertain future. This really puts our theology on display, doesn't it? I mean, we can say we trust God. We can go around telling people that. But the way we trust God in the, in the face of the fears of the unknown really puts our theology on display A.W. Tozer said this, we've we've heard it here before but I'm going to say it again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we need to have that thought present, very present in our minds when we're tempted by the fears of this life. What am I going to think about God right now? And how is that going to cause me to behave? Will I be reasonable? Or will I not? Listen, we have many reasons to worry, don't we? Would you agree with that? We have many reasons to worry. It's it's, it's only that we have better reasons not to worry. We have better reasons not to worry. Look at the end of verse 5. Look at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the third command we're going to look at from this passage. When I'm anxious, I need to oppose uncountable worries. We need to go on the offensive. We need to obey this command of God to stop doing what He's telling us to stop doing, and that's be anxious. Literally, that says be anxious for nothing. And the, the, the reason why is because the Lord is at hand. Right? Anxiety looks for confidence in knowing or controlling the future. Am I saying that enough? Anxiety looks for confidence in knowing or controlling the future, and God says, I want you to have confidence somewhere else. You need to find your confidence in a different place, and it's in these five words. Don't you love these five words? The Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm afraid might happen. Jesus is right here with me. Let that comfort your soul this morning. In John chapter 17, Jesus is in the upper room praying for his disciples and he's praying that they would be sanctified in the truth. You can turn there if you want. I want to read a section. John chapter 17, as as Jesus is asking the Father to um, make his people more like Christ by the truth and he says your word is the truth. He, he stops and he prays for us too. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these, you know, the, the ones that are right there. He says, I, I ask for also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Here it is. I in them and you in me that they may be I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, beloved, if you have placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of sins, dwells with you always. What a encouraging truth for us when we consider the fight against anxiety. Jesus says in the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always. So we need to believe that no matter where we are, there he is with us. That's the doctrine of omnipotence or omnipresence, sorry. No matter where we are, we're in the presence of the Lord. He's with us. He's made that promise. He's made that commitment to us. And so we need to remember what the apostle Paul puts right here for us to um, fix our minds upon: the Lord is at hand. I, I agree with the ESV in putting this as the first part of a new sentence. You might have noticed that uh, verse six starts after this, and yet there's a period uh, before, and and that's because grammatically and, and syntactically, this little phrase could go either with what precedes it or or what follows, and so there's a choice to make in translation. And I believe that the ESV made the correct choice in putting it with what follows. The Lord is at hand, therefore do not be anxious about anything. These, these two have a very sincere relationship. They go together like hand and glove. The Lord is at hand is, is the statement and then the, the command is this, do not be anxious about anything. Our, our, culture, our culture says we've got anxiety figured out, right? Anxiety isn't um, something that we do. It's something that happens to us. It's, it's kind of uh, neutral. It's, it's neither uh, good nor bad. It's just something we deal with, some more than others. It's, it's kind of like uh, getting the flu. It's not your fault, right? It just happens. But the Bible is, talks over and over about anxiety. Listen, as a choice, as a matter of obedience. And this is really where many of us need to allow God's word to transform our thinking about anxiety. We need to see it as a matter of obedience. That the Lord Jesus said, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. He said it three times. You go back and you look at Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount where he, where he addresses this subject. It is a command and we cannot escape that. This is something that we need to come under the authority of God in and not allow the, the, the truth of the Lord is near to be clouded out in our hearts by the fear of the unknown. You know that... Um, feeling we get when we're anxious. We need, we need to think of that feeling as, as our heart being squeezed to, to reject and resist spiritual truth. Maybe if, maybe if we think of it like that, next, next time we have that sense in us, we, we can better understand and, and learn to th- be thinking differently about anxiety. See, see anxiety says, what, what if God doesn't provide what if, what if he takes it away? What if, what if it doesn't happen the way that I want it to happen? If, if only I could just know how it will all turn out. If only I could just be in control. We, we, we need to understand the, the issue of control has everything to do with the issue of anxiety and yet Jesus back again in that um, passage in the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and also parallel in, in Luke 12, he says, don't, don't worry. I mean, you're not in control. You can't even add a single hour to your life. We need to recognize, friends, that our anxiety is like weeds that creep in and grow among us and try and choke our hearts. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know what your weeds are? I, I really hope there's no, none among us this morning who, who, who might be thinking, well, I, I don't struggle with anxiety. No, all of us have that, a button on our hearts that if pressed hard enough will tempt us and cause us to really have to escalate in this battle. And so, again, I just want to ask you, do you know what your weeds are? I'm not going to answer the question for you. You know your heart and I I encourage you to examine yourself and pray and ask the Lord. Because he says, do not be anxious, listen, about anything. God, God says whatever it is for you from the countless, innumerable number of possible things to worry about, I want you to put all of it to death. Put it all away. Have you noticed that there's no exceptions in this passage. That's something that struck me this week for, for the first time, I, I think. In every single verse. Look, verse 4. Always. Verse 5, everyone. Verse 6: anything and everything. Verse 7, all. There's no exceptions. There are no exceptions in this passage. God wants this reality to be encompassing of our whole lives. And he wants our whole entire system of worry to come crashing down on itself in every area of life. Maybe you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Come, come, give, me, give, me some, give me some more um, practical uh, takeaways here. So, so I've got four exchanges, four, four put-offs and put-ons for you to help in this fight against anxiety. And the first one is this. Uh, Don't forget, remember. Don't forget, remember. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. God put that truth in our Bibles right before he tells us to stop being anxious so that we would remember that eternal truth, that glorious, comforting truth about him. So don't forget, remember. Uh, One of my... Favorite books, I went back to it, it's called Rejoicing in Christ. I knew, I knew if I had just leaped through that book this week, I would be encouraged and be able to encourage you in this area. And so I've got a quote, it, it says this, I'm going to dare to say that most of our Christian problems and errors of thought come about precisely through forgetting Christ. That is, despite all our apparent Christianness, we fail to build our thoughts upon the rock. We're prone to forget. We're prone to not remember Jesus Christ. And so, let us mark this down. Don't forget. Remember. Right? Tell yourself, if Jesus were standing right here with me, telling me, don't worry, I would probably respond differently. And, and yet, that is true, isn't it? God, God, in Christ, through his spirit, is right here with us, telling us through his infallible word, do not worry. Do not worry. So don't forget, remember, um, Jesus, I, again, just want to reach back. Jesus said, observe the birds and the flowers, right? If you're having trouble uh, with forgetting, look, look around at, at God's creation and, and he says, look at those birds, look how I feed them. Look at those flowers. Look how I clothe them. You are worth much, much more than these. I will take care of you. All right, let's move on. Don't forget, remember, don't justify. Repent. This is important. When, when we are being anxious, we cannot make excuses. We, we cannot say, well, well, this is just who I am. This, this is my personality. I've always been this way. I, I can't change. I've tried, and it didn't work. And... Um, If you only knew what I was up against, what might happen in my life, you wouldn't be telling me not to be anxious. And listen, we we cannot justify what God calls sin. We have to repent. We have to get on our faces before the Lord, and we have to acknowledge to him that, that unreasonable, irresponsible responses to the fear of the unknown is sin, and we have to agree with God That this needs to be put off, turned away from, and a better way needs to be sought. Third, let me encourage you with with these words. Don't give up, practice. Don't give up, practice. I was reading a blog post this week. Uh, The title of it was, um, let's see, I'm remembering the subtitle. Oh, here's the title. Does practice make perfect? Question mark. And this is on like a Christian life blog, so you know where they're going, right? And, and, and then the subtitle is like, can we grow and get better at, you know, fill in the blank, uh, being uh, kind or, or generous, right? Can we grow by practice in the areas of the Christian life? And the answer is absolutely yes, of course we can. Right? And, and it went on to tell this, I just thought a really helpful illustration. I like golf, and, and so I was happy to see this this example in there of, of an old golfer named uh, Gary Player. And, and the story is told that years ago he's, he's in a bunker. He's practicing. He's on the practice range at the golf course, and he's in the sand, and he's dropping balls down, and this is very hard to do. And, and just as he takes his swing and the ball and the sand come flying out and you know plop on the green and start rolling toward the hole, uh, this, this old Texan cowboy walks up, and the ball goes, you know, right into the hole, and, and he goes, you know, 50 bucks if you can do that again. So uh, Gary Player drops another ball and proceeds to put that right in the hole, and I don't know if this is true or not, it sounds pretty unbelievable to me, but it says, it said that three more times, just does the same thing, and, and the cowboy is just like pulling out his wallet with $100 bills, and he goes, I've never seen somebody so lucky in all my life, and Gary Player responds, yeah, it's funny, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Practice works, right? We see that in so many areas of the Christian life. So let us practice together putting to death anxiety. This is hard work, right? And we're not going to conquer this mountain in one step. But let's, let's practice. Let's, let's commit, right, to, to um, calling upon the Lord for strength to help us in our effort to, to put this aside the, the next time it comes, Right? And step by step, right? Bite by bite, working towards growth in the Christian life. There's a couple of reasons, even un- under this idea of why we're not going to give up and we're going to practice, uh, wh- why we shouldn't be anxious, that are important for us to just make sure we, we hear this morning. First of all, it's utterly incapable of ever changing anything. You realize that, don't you? Like, us worrying and being anxious can never actually accomplish a single thing. We, we have to understand the logic in that, and, and that should help us to practice saying, you know what, I've I'm, I'm, got to get rid of this. I've got to get rid of this. Also, there's just no certainty that the thing that we're um, worrying about is actually going to happen or change anyways. I read one study that said... Um, you know, through a sample taken, that 40% of the things worried about never actually even happened. Like that's almost half of the things that, that we allow to cause us to be anxious don't even happen at all. I, I, I identify with that right away. I think maybe you can as well. And so that's just another reason to, to practice, okay, I'm not going to be worried and anxious about this because I don't even know. If it's going to happen anyway. All right, fourth exchange. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. And that's that's our next that's our next point. Let's continue reading um, the end of verse six. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here Paul says, in trust. Unlimited prayers. And trust unlimited prayers. God says a new habit, a new response to the fears of the unknown is needed. He doesn't just tell us. I love this about God's word. He doesn't just tell us what to stop doing. He tells us as well what to do instead. Right? He says but. But in everything. In all areas of life. Where uncertainty is creeping in and choking us out like weeds, where there's a temptation to give way to the controlling fears of the unknown. God says, come back. Leave that behind. Turn in your tracks and come back to the waterfall of my grace, which is prayer. Run hard to commune with me. Don't keep it for yourself to carry 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, many of you know this and quote this: casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Another example where, where God tells us t- to cast all our cares upon him. And, and I, I just want to remind us of the first part of that verse. See, that's not the command isn't to cast our cares. That's secondary. The primary command in that verse is to humble yourself. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, it says, and he will exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. That's how you humble. That's how we humble ourselves before God. Right? It's to empty ourselves, it's to take that giant weight off our back and to say, No, God, I acknowledge I'm not strong enough to carry this around anymore. Please, you take it. It's humbling. It's humbling. We have to say, I'm not in control, I'm not in control. God, you are, please, please help me. See, God wants to make us more and more dependent. He wants to drive us to himself. And his cure for anxiety, his way of doing that is through prayer, all right, mark this down. God's cure for anxiety is prayer. And it's a lie of Satan that the solution is found somewhere else. We substitute any number of, of things to try and cure our anxiety apart from what God alone through his word and his spirit can do. And I've got a, a number of these written out here that I want to read for you and, and I know that this is going to be very personal to to many of us, and so I just want to say that these are not necessarily in and of themselves sinful. It's only when they're looked upon as the answer to our anxiety problems that we're in trouble. I'm talking about things like outside of the church therapy. I'm talking about prescription medication, coping mechanisms, essential oils, certain kinds of exercise, alcohol, even just that little bit, right? Even just that little bit that doesn't get you drunk, but but quote unquote, takes the edge off. See, these things may mask the symptoms of anxiety, but they do not deal with your heart. And that needs to concern you greatly and cause you to really examine the way that you're fighting anxiety. And to ask the question, am I really and truly thinking about anxiety according to God's word? Am I thinking biblically? And, and I just want to address some of you right now. Who, who Maybe you're saying, great, so you're another, just another person in my anxiety telling me I need to pray more. You, you're really treating my anxiety much too simplistically. And I have a heart for you this morning because I know it's hard. And I'm, believe me, I am not trying to treat your struggle with, with worry in a simple way. But you also need to hear this, that that God's answer to anxiety is prayer. He says it in his word. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God says it. People in the Bible exemplify it. And all throughout history, there have been uh, innumerable examples of people, even in this very church, demonstrate the power of prayer in the face of anxiety. I understand that you've tried praying and maybe you've found it difficult. I just want to ask you this morning, will you allow this passage to further transform your mind? What, what I want to do is, is just point to how there are different elements we see here in this passage ought to inform our prayers and change the way we pray and, and therefore maybe make a, that difference that you haven't yet seen in your life. First of all, Paul says to make prayers, which is a more general term for prayer. And then he says and supplication, which is sometimes used in Scripture as a more intense crying out to God kind of prayer. And then he says, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Thanksgiving changes so much, doesn't it? We, we talked about it a few weeks ago when we, when we looked at uh, Israel's complaining in the wilderness. Complaining uh, is, is um, so powerful in our hearts to make an exchange for, for things like anger and resentment and bitterness. And, and here we see worry. And God says, make a thankful prayer acknowledge God's goodness because this helps to reorient your thinking back toward his perfect purposes in all areas of your life. And then he says make request. Let your request be made known to God. And so we want to come to God asking him, yes, we want to ask him to help us with our anxieties, even circumstantially. God, don't let this happen don't let this happen, or or, God, don't let let me lose what what it is that I'm so afraid of losing. We want to ask him specifically for those things, but listen, we also want to ask him for our heart. We want to say, God, would would you more than anything teach me and guide me in this? Would would you affect me at the level of my affections? Would you help me to, to know that remembering that Jesus Christ is at hand and, and rejoicing in Him is a sure and certain help for my fear. God, make this request to God. God, would you help me to trust your will that even if things do go the way I fear they will, that that is according to your perfect purposes in my life. See, true prayer is made in absolute dependence. Emptying ourselves before Almighty God in complete trust. Trust in his steadfast love, his sovereign control, and his perfect wisdom. Listen, um, trust, trust is the issue here. When we talk about anxiety, make no mistake about it. When we talk about anxiety, we're talking about trust. We're not just talking about stopping that anxiety. We're talking about growing in our faith. That's why Jesus says, right, when he talks about anxiety, he says, you of little faith. Anxiety is an opportunity for us to increase in our trust in the Lord. Even though I don't know the future, God does, and his purposes will stand. That's trust. That is trust. There may be some hindrances to our prayers. I think, first of the hindrance of unbelief. See, if we're coming to God, praying, asking for His help in the face of our anxiety, but we don't actually believe He can do anything to help us, that's a problem. Another problem of unbelief in prayer is the unbelief in the grand scheme of things. That maybe you just don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to begin with. See, in order to come to God in prayer, we must come in the name of Jesus Christ. We must believe that we are utter sinners who are ruined by rebellion and that we need a savior and that there's one savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he came to redeem all those who would place their faith in him. He came to die a death that we deserved. He came to pay the price for the penalty that was ours, and he died and, and rose again victoriously, having paid the penalty in full, and, and we need to pray believing that if we expect God to hear our prayers and to help us with the fears of this life. All right, let's move on to the fifth and final command that we see in this passage. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I've I've made this a command, but it's a passive command because in in the the Scriptures, it's not a command at all. It's a statement. It's a promise. So here, write this down. When I'm anxious, I need to be protected by explainable rest. I need to be protected by explainable rest. Rest. See, God has told us now what, what we need to do and, and finally in verse 7 he tells us what he's going to do. He makes a glorious promise to us. He tells us what exactly he's going to provide and it's, it's not the guarantee that all our concerns for future uncertainties will be mitigated and, and assured that it's not going to happen. That's, that's not his promise. His promise is peace. Peace. The condition, I love what I read in one commentary this week, the condition for experiencing God's peace is not that God grants all our requests, but that we have made known our request to God with thanksgiving. See, there's power in the prayer in and of itself that doesn't require God to answer the way we want him to answer in order for us to receive the peace in our hearts that we so desperately need. And God God promises us this peace, he says, I will give you calm, I will give you rest, I will give you the stability that you so desperately need. And it's so much more than the absence of anxiety, it's God himself. It's his very nature. It's, it's God's peace that thankful, trusting Christians are invited to share. See, the goal is not just merely self-improvement or, or just to put away Anxiety, the goal, is to draw nearer to the Lord. To daily experience His perfect peace. And so often, I I confess even with me, I I can um, go down the path of thinking, how can I possibly calm down? How can I possibly have peace in my heart right now given what I think is about to happen? And God says, you don't need to understand you don't need to know how. It's supernatural. It's unexplainable, God says. There's nothing, there's nothing more foreign to the human mind than this than to, to hope in the midst of despair, to see riches in the depth of poverty, to, to not give way in the torrent of weakness. See, We, we, we sometimes just say, I, I gotta know, I, I gotta know, I, 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 just, I have to know, and God says, you don't have to know. Trust me. And my perfect peace, that you don't even have to understand how it happens, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I I want to um, put an equation up on this screen here. Um, This is how we practically think sometimes when we're um, struggling with anxiety. Go ahead, put it up. Jesus plus blank equals rest for my soul. That's anxiety, isn't it? If only I could have assurance, if only I had control or knowledge of what's going to happen, then I would have rest for my soul. And God says, No, it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone that you need. He says, Pray. Pray. Give it over to me. Make your request known to me. Ask me for this unexplainable rest, and I will grant you peace. It doesn't say I may guard your hearts. I will guard your hearts. What a precious promise in Christ Jesus. Jesus. It's always only Jesus, isn't it? That's what we need. We need Him. John 14, upon the screen behind me, again, in, in the upper room, Jesus says, To his disciples, as he leaves them, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus. We need his peace. We need his commitment to unceasing joy. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We need to be like Jesus, devoted to unquestionable gentleness, who when he was arrested did not answer back, did not argue, did, did not um, go to pieces, but, but humbly and gently acted in a reasonable way as he marched to the cross. He was opposed to these uncountable worries. You know, Jesus had reason to worry. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like when the sun goes black and the cup of your wrath, Father, for all eternity of mankind is poured out upon me? What is that going to be like when I die and am put in the grave? And yet he entrusts himself to the perfect Father saying, not my will, but your will be done. As was his custom, he went out and found a quiet place to pray and to call upon the Father. Jesus says, will you be protected by my unexplainable rest? I'm your helper. I will do this. Draw near to me.